for the gospel reading, uh, the congregation, you have a part in the reading. And so open up your uh, bulletins, and the congregation will be the voice of the crowd for the reading. So it starts on page three in your bulletins. It goes from three, and then it falls to page four. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near the door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. This is the word of the Lord. For this sermon today, I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 118. I promise it will help make sense of the sermon, so normally I don't have that. But Psalm 118, and I'm going to get to it, so, but just have it open. That's my Psalm 118. That can be found on page 956 in your Bibles. And just keep it open. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, we, we thank and praise you. We thank and praise you that Jesus was willing to enter into Jerusalem, enter into a place of high expectations, knowing that those high expectations would turn into rage and abandonment and rejection. Thank you, O Lord, that Jesus was willing to enter into that place. We ask now, Lord Jesus, that you would enter into this place, into, into, enter into our expectations, into, enter into our pain, enter into our lives, and speak your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was adding up in my head how many Palm Sundays that I've experienced, and it's been about 15 that I've experienced. And of all those 15 years, I have never actually thought about Palm Sunday from the perspective of the crowd. What were the crowd thinking? What was the crowd thinking when Jesus was coming? What was going through their minds? What were they really saying when they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? You have to remember that this is the beginning of the Passover week. People had traveled a great distance to see Jesus or just to come for Passover. The crowd was excited to be in Jerusalem after a long traveling, long distance. The crowd was excited to see also Jesus. They had heard the stories. 
They'd heard about Jesus' teachings, healings, and exorcisms. They had heard that just a few days earlier, he had healed Bartimaeus, who was blind. Even more, when they watched Jesus enter into Jerusalem, he's on a donkey. This reminded them way back of the Old Testament of Solomon. When Solomon rode into Jerusalem on David's donkey to be anointed the new king. Even more, seeing the garments reminded them of the story of Jehu as he was announced king and exalted high as the king of Israel, and they laid garments before him. And so now it's Passover. Now the crowd is gathered. Now this Jesus that they've been hearing about, this Messiah, is coming into Jerusalem the city of Israel's kings. And he's coming during the week of Passover, the week where they celebrate God's deliverance out of Egypt. And so how excited were they? Ecstatic. Because God was finally answering their prayers. He had waited 500 years to answer the prayers of Israel way back in Egypt. Now God had waited another 400 years to answer their cry. And so they were ecstatic. And so of course they yelled, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Because they knew God was saving his people. And yet there's more to these words than just simply Hosanna and praise. These words come from Psalm 118. In fact, Psalm 118 is a series of, of psalms from 113 to 118, which are called the Egyptian Hallels, which is short for Hallelujah. And it's about God's deliverance out of Egypt, the Egyptian Hallel. So they're saying Hallelujah to God who delivers out of bondage. But what's amazing is Psalm 118 is the last one. It's the greatest of all those psalms, these Egyptian Hallels. It's a psalm that they used throughout Holy Week. And they would say this, Jewish in their worship. In fact, it's part of the liturgy. Look at verses 1 through 4. Look how this works in a liturgy fashion. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And then the people would say, His love endures forever. And then let Israel say, His love forever. Let the house of Aaron say, let those who fear the Lord say. Right? You can get this sense that they would say this all throughout the week. His love endures forever. His actually, it's his steadfast love. It's his hased. It's his covenantal love. The covenant he made way back to Abraham. The covenant he kept leading the people out of Egypt. God keeps his promises. In fact, throughout this psalm, you hear that God delivers his people out of pain, and out of struggle. Verse 5 says, In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. Or verses 13 and 14 say, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Or verse 17, I will not die, but live. and will proclaim what the Lord has done. And then finally, down in verse 25 and 26. O Lord, save us. In Hebrew, O Lord, Hosanna. 
O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Hosanna. How excited was the crowd? They were ecstatic because what they were witnessing before their very eyes was God actually answering their prayers, God sending the Messiah, God coming down and leading them and saving them. No wonder they yelled at these words. God was actually answering their prayers. And boy, this is a group of people that would have prayed. They needed deliverance. They needed salvation. They cried out to God, I guarantee, their whole lives saying, Lord, Hosanna, save us from Rome. And those butchers. Oh, Lord, Hosanna, save us from our wicked religious leaders. And you think our own denominational leaders can be tough? It's nothing like back then. Oh, Lord, save us from hunger. Oh, Lord, save us from our medical ailments that we have no idea what's going on in our bodies, but a fever kills us. Oh, Lord, save us from financial hardship. Oh, Lord, save us. Please, save us. Every day, crying out for God's salvation. We know what that's like. You know what that's like. In your own lives, crying out to God. God, please help me. God, please help my neighbor. God, please help my son or daughter. God, please help my parents. Often God does, but, but you know what happens when he doesn't. Cuts deep into you. Causes frustration and pain and struggle. I mean, this crowd is so excited to see God finally answering their prayers. Finally bringing salvation. You can begin to see now how that same crowd a few days later would yell crucify. Why? Because all their hopes were on Jesus. And now a few days later, he doesn't defeat Rome. A few days later, he doesn't defeat the religious leaders. They call him a heretic. And so when they're yelling, crucify, crucify, what are they doing? They're yelling at their anger, not just at Jesus for not delivering them, but they're angry at God for not listening to them. God, why didn't you do it? Crucify him. Why don't you answer our prayers? Crucify him. You can begin to see just the pain and anguish of God not listening to them. And so 500 years, 400 years of frustration pour out upon Jesus. On Wednesday night, I was out with some friends and, and we started talking to um, a waitress. And eventually we started talking and I asked her if she goes to church. And she says, no, not anymore. She's a young, young lady, 22, 23. I said, not anymore, why not? Well, she said, you know, I just don't understand God. I was raised going to church. 
I cry out to him, but I look at the news and I see pain and suffering. I see three-year-olds who are murdered. I don't know why God doesn't answer. God doesn't care. But he seems not to. And then she went further to say, even more, I don't think he'd take me back because I told him a few years ago to take a hike. I don't want him. I'll tell you what I said in a moment, but real pain, real struggle. God, why aren't you listening? Pastor John Piper wrote a, a story, a poem that's entitled The Innkeeper. And in it, he speaks of the innkeeper who housed Jesus when he was born, housed Mary and Joseph, housed Jesus. And then he he, the story goes that Jesus left. It's two years later, and this innkeeper loses his family when Herod sends the soldiers to kill those boys. And this is what the man says. He's speaking to Jesus, but doesn't know it's Jesus as an, as an adult. Jacob, the man, says, young man, you ever lost a son? Before I found the breath to scream... I heard the words, a horrid dream. Kill every child who's two or less. Spare not for aught, nor make excess. Let this one, this is his oldest child, be the oldest here. And if you count your own life dear, let none escape. And then Jacob goes on to say, I had no sword, no weapon in my house, but Lord, I had my hands. And I would save the son of my right hand. So brave was my wife, my wife, Rachel. Rachel was so brave. Her hands were like a thousand iron bands around the boy, our youngest. She wouldn't let him go. And so her own back met with every thrust and blow. I lost my arm, my wife, and my sons. The cost for housing the Messiah. Why would he simply disappear and never come to help? How can a crowd go from Hosanna to crucify? Because they're convinced God is not listening. And they see the pain of this world that's overbearing. And they can't handle it. That's why the young woman struggles. That's why the crowd struggles. That's why we struggle. As the pain of this world etches into our lives... Our loved ones die, our children walk away from church, our financial problems are severe, cancer's too much to endure. All along, crying out to God, and yet he seems silent. And so in rage, we say to God, take a hike. Or in rage, we yell, crucify, crucify. But do you think you can get rid of Jesus that easily? Do you think if you tell him to take a hike, he's going to actually listen to that? No way. What the crowd forgot, what we forget, is that God's ways are mysterious, and even more than that, God is often working in the places we least expect. In fact, in Psalm 118, here these verses are about God delivering his people. There's one verse that the crowd has forgotten. It's verse 22. 
Verse 22 tells us, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. You know those words, right? The stone that the builders reject has become the capstone. The one that you think is rejected, the one you think is not working. The place where you think God's not at, that's exactly where he's at. God is reversing this. God is entering into this place, entering into this rage, and he's going to become then the capstone. He's going to bring salvation. Remember that young woman who, who told me, I just said a few moments ago, who told God to take a hike? What was my response? I told her, you can't get rid of God that easily. I told her that God works in ways that we cannot understand. But what we can understand is that God does listen. And God has spoken to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus' death is God's answer to our cries. And then I looked at her and I said to her, God loves you. <laughs> and she said, but I, this was the unforgivable sin. I go, no, it's not. God loves you. She goes, even when I do this, God loves you. <laughs> the neat part was she asked, well, can I have a card to your church? <laughs> She's not here yet, but we'll keep going and tracking her down. God loves you. That's the answer. Christ is the answer to all our frustration. God does listen. God does enter in. God is willing to go into the worst of places to save us. God is willing to redeem us. God is willing to enter into humanity's rage to do that. In fact, uh, John Piper's poem ends this way. Let me read these words. They sat, the two of them, in silence, Jacob wondering at the stranger's tears. And then Jesus speaks. He says, I am the boy that Herod wanted to destroy. You're, you gave me my parents' room to give me life, and then God let me live and took your wife. Ask me not why the one should live, another die. God's ways are high. And you will know in time, but I have come to show you what the Lord prepared that night. You made a place for heaven's light. In two weeks, they will crucify my flesh. But mark this, Jacob. I will rise in three days from the dead and place my foot upon the head of him who has the power of death. And I will raise with life and breath your wife and Ben and Joseph too and give them, Jacob, back to you with everything the world can store. And you will reign with me forevermore. That's God's answer. Jesus defeats sin, death, and the devil on the cross. That's his answer to our cries. Oh, Reformation, even though it seems as though God doesn't care, he cares. God listens to your cries. God knows your pain. And God answers your pain and cries in Jesus. Remember, Jesus knew what was going on long before he experienced it. In our reading today, Jesus knew where the donkey would be. Just like in a few chapters later, Jesus knew his disciples would abandon him. Jesus knew that when he was riding into Jerusalem, he would experience humanity's rage. Jesus rode on anyway, and he rode into Jerusalem 
willing to take it all in order to save the world from our sin, our death, and most importantly, from the misunderstanding that God doesn't listen. Even today, Jesus enters into this place for you. As we gather in his name, he's present with us. In the meal, he's here for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. He comes to bear your rage and your pain and your fear, your sin, your death, and your misunderstanding of God. And in turn, what does he give to you? He gives to you his love, his refuge, his righteousness, his life, and the clearest picture of God you will ever have. He is present here for you. God is not silent. God hears your cries. He sends Jesus then and now. And so cry out to him. Cry out to him in prayer. Cry out to him. Let your hosannas ring by saying, save us, Lord Jesus. And the best news is he has and he will. Ride on King Jesus into Jerusalem, into this church, into our lives, into our labor's lives. Ride on King Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.